everybody, and welcome to another episode of Creekside Outdoors. As always, this is your host, Eric Miller, and this week I'm, I'm very proud and, and happy to bring you uh, a very special guest. Uh, my guest this week is Dr. Chris Rosenberry, the uh, director uh, of the, the DEER program for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Uh, Dr. Rosenberry, uh, thank you very much for coming uh, on board, and welcome to, to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good. Um, now, before we get started, I understand you and I have a little bit of common ground. If I'm not mistaken, you spent some time at, at Delaware State University? Yes, I did. Yeah, I graduated from there in uh, 1996 uh, oh, okay. um, in their, their wildlife management program, So, um, which leads me into my first question. If you could maybe uh, tell uh, the listeners a little bit about you, know, your background, uh, where you went to school, any past jobs you might have had. Okay. Uh, I did my undergraduate work at Juniata College in Huntington, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, from there, I went to graduate school at uh, North Carolina State University. I did my graduate work on white-tailed deer on eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, following graduate school, I, I worked for uh, Delaware Division of Fish and Wildlife uh, in their deer program for a time. I then uh, did uh, some work at Delaware State University, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. I also taught at Westchester University before coming to the Game Commission. Okay. 2000, uh, where I took the job as the uh, biometrician. Okay. And I was in that position for five years before uh, moving over to the deer program. Now, when you were at, for, for Denrec, were you working with uh, Ken Reynolds? Yes, I was. Okay. Is, did you know, is Ken still there? He is still there. Is he? Oh, he's, a, he's a good guy. I did my uh, senior project with Ken on, on uh, the fox squirrels, and uh, he was a super guy. I really enjoyed working with him. Yeah, um, Ken was, he was my supervisor in Delaware. Good. Yeah, he's, he was a really nice guy. Um, so let's let's jump right into it because um, I'm I'm sure as as you're aware, nothing hotter in Pennsylvania these days than than the the deer program. Right. Um, my first question is is obviously the the tags in 2G this year were were uh, you know reduced. I guess over the course of the last two years they've you know, they've really uh, been reduced. In your opinion, um, is is that a good thing? Uh, is is it maybe too soon, or, or are we on schedule there with as far as you know, the habit, the habitat, uh, you know, and the deer effect on it. In terms of the Unit 2G and, and the allocations this year, our objective going into this year's hunting season uh, is to hold that population steady right okay. where it's at. And in order to do that, uh, based on the data that we had available, we uh, recommended a, a allocation that would, you know, just hold it steady where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the resulting uh, allocation that came out uh, that was approved by the commission. Okay. So you guys were pretty much happy with then how deer harvests, you know, particularly antlerless, were going in, in that unit then you know, over the past, you know, three or four years? Right. Our indications are that population uh, had declined not only over the last five years, but also in recent years it was still going down. So okay. we again pulled back a little bit to see if we could stabilize it right where it's at. Okay. Um, the The... Deer and their effect on on you know, the habitat and regeneration in particular in 2G um, is, is the habitat you know showing signs of rebound up there. We're hearing uh, reports of the habitat recovering in, mm-hmm. in 2G. Uh, we're seeing that uh, in some of those other northern areas as well uh, at the local level. Individuals right. or, or individual landowners are commenting on that. Uh, we're seeing some declines in DMAP application requests or DMAP, DMAP permit request in that area. Mm-hmm. In terms of whether or not we've detected that at the wildlife unit level with the data that we're using, 
uh, we haven't seen that yet. Okay. But that data set is a, a multiple-year data set. Okay. Uh, so we really wouldn't expect to see much until probably this year's growing season uh, is included in the data set. Okay. Um, but we're getting initial reports at the local levels that you know, things may be coming back, but we have not uh, seen anything like that in our uh, unit level measures. Okay. So basically, where things stand now, you're, you're happy with the, the, you know, the, the deer uh, harvest numbers, and and you know, which obviously you base your um, population, uh, you know, estimates and things like that. You're happy with how things are going in 2G. Then is is basically the, the the outcome. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're necessarily, you know, what the the, the current deer uh, numbers or the deer harvest in that area is something that makes us happy. Right. Uh, but it is a, it, it certainly doesn't make. Uh, many other folks happy right right but in our position and the information we had to look at uh, we felt it was the most responsible thing right now is to, to just hold things where they are mm-hmm. in terms of deer trend and hopefully we'll start to see some of those responses in, in our measures at the larger scale in terms of uh, deer health and habitat health and then as we see that uh, start to improve then we can you know bring the deer population along after that but, okay uh, whether it's a, a, a thing of being happy or not with the thing with the deer numbers in that area, I think it's more of a situation where we've seen a lot of changes in the deer numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hold them where they're at. They have declined. See what happens with these with the habitat and deer okay. health measures, and then we'll go from there. Okay, that's you know, I mean that's, that makes sense. Um, you know, talking about you know the, the population estimates and and. Uh, uh, harvest numbers and things like that. Why, in your opinion, you know, it at least in mine, it, it seems hunters have a difficulty either either grasping or believing the you know the estimates uh, you know as far as the harvest because right. the, the no, not everybody's unfortunately you know sending in their harvest report cards, which is making your job you know a little bit more difficult. Right. But um, you know, it seems hunters are just they're they're not either not getting it or they're they're just not you know, there as, as far as, you know, believing what the estimates are. Right. Uh, I mean, how do you guys handle that? Well, the, the first way we handle it is by having a, a, a process in place that uh, you're correct in that all hunters do not send in their report cards. Mm-hmm. We know that. So we have to somehow correct the numbers that actually get reported to us to get a, a more accurate estimate because we know that those report cards don't represent every deer that was harvested. Right. So our first priority in terms of as managers is to have a system in place that is valid or is scientifically valid in terms of the way it handles those data. Mm-hmm. And that problem is not the problem of only getting a partial report uh, or a partial measure of what's actually going on is not unique to, wild, to, to deer harvest. I mean, that's right. a common thing in wildlife management in, in general. Uh, so there are techniques out there that are, that are developed and uh, a lot of folks spend a lot of time, you know, working on those kind of techniques and developing those. What we've done is grabbed a, a basic wildlife management technique and applied it to our methods of estimating harvest. Mm-hmm. And we've exposed the, the way we do uh, our harvest estimates to independent scientific review. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, the results of that review were published a few years ago in the Journal of Wildlife Management. Uh, so that's our first step, is to make sure that the program we have uh, is handling data appropriately, and the estimates that we have are uh, reliable uh, in terms of you know, 
using the best available information we have. Right. Now, we also cross-check that with independent survey data mm-hmm. that we do with, with hunters. Um, so that's, that's how we handle our end. Right. In terms of communicating that back to hunters, I think oftentimes the difficulty is a, a matter of perspective. Uh, when we, as hunters, we are, can be familiar with a few areas mm-hmm. that are usually local areas. We're providing harvest estimates at the unit level, right. which is thousands of square miles on average. And secondly, folks tend to grab onto something simple. And when it comes to harvest estimates, uh, the example last year was folks grabbed onto the total statewide harvest estimate. Okay. And criticized the agency and, and how we do it based on that because there wasn't much change. But if you looked unit by unit, some of those units that are were getting some of the complaints, they, the antler harvest declined in those units by double digits. Mm-hmm. So it's not only a matter, it's, it's a matter of perspective in, in a couple different le- levels. One, that statewide number to us as managers has little value. Right, right. It's at the unit level that's most important. But for hunters, the unit level isn't even what's important to them. It's what are they seeing in their particular area. Right. And yeah. if our unit level or state level number doesn't agree with that, oftentimes that's where the conflict right. comes in. Yeah, I, I, you often hear people saying, well, "Why can't they can't they manage at the township level?" It's, it, I, I, you know, I mean, you and I both know the answer, but it, right. you know, that I think that just proves the concept that you're saying. It's that's too complex of an issue, you know, when you look at it, you know, data wise. But for somebody else, it's well, that seems pretty simple, you know. Right. But it, so I, I definitely understand, you know, what you mean by by you know how they deal with the perspectives. Um, is is it something that that people in other states, you know, when I say people, I mean what, uh, you know, deer managers in particular, are they facing the same thing? Is is it like a, a nationwide trend almost? I think generally, if you look at deer management programs across the United States, it doesn't matter what the system is that's in place. Uh, we all face the same problems, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's not unique to Pennsylvania. Uh, there's actually a paper from back in the 1960s in Michigan where hunters did not agree with the, the harvest estimates that the agency was uh, you know, producing, and they, they went through an entire process of, of trying to reconcile that and look at it. So this isn't a new issue, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not an issue that's unique to Pennsylvania. I think right. any state that's doing deer management uh, is dealing with the same issue at one, you know, at some time. Sure. So, I mean, and you'll, you'll often hear people say, well, you know, it's, there's, no, you know, there's no science behind these estimates, which is completely wrong because you've had it certified by, you know, an independent scientific, you know, uh, uh, colleagues and, 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 and it proved, you know, scientifically sound. So, um, you know, I guess that's just, you know, unfortunately just the, the way some, some people think, but, um, talking about, about out of, out of, st- or other states, you check, check stations. I'm sure people have contacted you. Right. Why, why can't PA do check stations? And, yeah, I, when I was working for Denrec, I did the check stations, and you're talking three counties there, and you know the the check station I worked at in Sussex County, the the line backed up for at least two miles, and I know for a fact there were people, you know, tired of waiting and and leaving the check station, which makes the check station no more valid than than a mailed in report card or non mailed in. Um, Pennsylvania being you know 67 counties. It's I, you know there's no no manpower first of all but you know maybe you could put a you know a, 
uh, you know, dear program uh, manager's perspective on, on, you know, why check stations really are, are not a possibility. Right. Well, here in Pennsylvania, I, I, would, I, I would say that the short answer is check stations would basically give us the same information as the report cards that we get now mm-hmm. for more than likely greater cost to the agency and greater inconvenience to hunters. Yep. I mean, right now, all a hunter needs to do is fill out the report card and drop it in the mail. And yeah, postage paid already. Folks, you know, check their mail on a, a daily basis, so you yep. didn't need to drop it in when you walk past the mailbox. Yep. If we had check stations, you would be required to, you know, load that animal up, take it to a check station. Uh, you know, there may or may not be a weight uh, taken on that animal, but uh, it would just require multiple handling of, of, of the deer as well as the inconvenience of you have to drive and and, and stop at a particular place and have that deer checked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the long run, it provides the same data as a report exactly. card. Exactly. Which is, you know that with a report card, you know he, you know, a deer was reported to have been killed. Yep. With check stations, you know a deer was brought in to the check station as a, a harvested deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you still don't know what was not taken to the check station. Right, exactly. That, that's the, it's always going to be the variable. Right. Yep. Uh, so check stations, in, in many states... Uh, they are a tradition, yep. uh, and there's also a public relations value that many states will use as, uh, you know, one reason why they continue to use check stations. Uh, that in the tradition, and, and here in Pennsylvania, we don't have that tradition, so it would more than likely be difficult to, to start it. Right. When folks really got to see it, they uh, probably won't care for it. Right. I mean, it's I, I you know like I said, having worked those, I can tell you right now there would be a lot of complaining right. by hunters after they were initiated. You know, more so than now, we're just filling out a you know a simple uh, postage paid card. So, right. um, well, now, my next question I had for you was, that, you know, I, we had mentioned earlier, there's people that just they just have a tough time. Um, I hate to use the word believing, but I don't know if there's a if there's a better term of of you know how the the game commission estimates the deer population. Right. Um, if if maybe I, I understand it's you know it's it's actually a pretty elaborate process more. Than people realize, but if you can maybe you know, touch on it, you know how you guys go about that. So maybe the, the listeners who aren't too sure can you know get an understanding that you guys aren't just winging these numbers and making things up. There's there's rhyme and reason to to what you do. Right. Well, I think the first point to make in terms of deer harvest estimates or deer population estimates is that what's most important to our program now is the trend in that population. Mm-hmm. Is it going up? Is it going down? Or is it staying the same? It's not, you know, the program is no longer based on a deer management, uh, a, a goal of X number of deer per, per forested square mile or per square mile. Right. Uh, we are now looking at, in terms of the role of deer population estimates in our program, is now one of, is that trend going up, down, or remaining the same? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> having said that, what we are currently using uh, to estimate deer populations and to monitor those trends is a technique that's called sex age kill uh, method and that is a method that's been around for uh, about 45 46 years uh, it's been used in other states uh, some states have used it the, that entire time mm-hmm. uh, and what it does is basically we work with harvest data uh, here in the state of Pennsylvania we also bring in uh, research data from our buck studies where we had over 500 bucks tagged and we're monitoring their survival and harvest rates. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we start with using that data as well as the harvest data to estimate the antlered population. We then use uh, sex ratios uh, that are calculated, again, from harvest data as well as 
some of the reproductive data that we collect each year mm -hmm. to generate an estimate of how many adult does were out there, and then we go on and estimate the number of fawns based on fawn to doe ratios uh, that we have through harvest data again. So it's it's not a you know it's it's not a simple process. Mm -hmm. There's probably a dozen or more inputs, uh, data inputs that we use to to get to that final point, and each one of those data inputs has uh, you know some uncertainty associated with it because we're we're sampling across a large area. Right, right. Uh, and for that reason, uh, again, it, it's uh, I guess a word of caution is that those numbers that we estimate, first of all. Uh, they're, again, they're for an entire unit, and we know that we could say there's 20 deer per square mile, but in the square mile a particular hunter is hunting, there may be five. Yep. You know, a guy a couple miles down the road may be hunting in a square mile that has 50. Right. But across that entire unit, we estimate that there's 20. And I think the FLIR, those FLIR you know, uh, surveys, I think they they back that up, you know, you, you you you, can't, you really can't dispute it. You know it shows right. you know exactly where the deer are, and you're exactly right. They're not always evenly distributed across the landscape. Right, and so that's that's one of those things again where you know we as managers look at it differently than uh, than hunters do. Uh, it's a different scale and for a different purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but I think again with even with the harvest estimates, uh, folks tend to be more trusting of a simple number. Right. I think that's why we hear check stations and folks wanting to know just the reported kill mm -hmm. because it, it, it's a simple count. Yep. Uh, and that's much more easy to understand than having us try to explain the various steps and how the data are used and collected and everything else to get to uh, an estimate of some sort. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was a way to know the, the harvest, you know, exactly by counting and, and know the number of deer by counting, uh, I would be the, the first in line to, to use it. Sure. But unfortunately, that's not the reality that we uh, work with, and that as a result, we have to make estimates. Um, but I think it's important to understand that even if we estimate a, a number across the unit, that is not necessarily going to accurately reflect what a hunter sees in his right. local area. Mm -hmm. And and it's you, you said for so, you're you're using the the research that's you know like for instance the buck study that's going on. I mean right. there there's. There is science involved here. There's a lot of people saying, well, you know, it's not scientifically based. Like that could, could be further from the truth. It, you know, there's there's all kinds of science in there. You know, if you, uh, you take into account the, the Buck study, for instance, and, and other research. It's it's there, uh, and you know, it's <laughs> it is what it is. Right. <laughs> I find myself saying that way too much. But <laughs> right. It's important not to confuse something that's scientific with something that's perfect. Yep. Exactly. Because, uh, Very good point. That's a very good point. Um, I mean, ho hopefully that you know that it lets the listeners know that it's not a, it's not a simple process, um, but it's you know it's what you have. You're using you know pretty much everything that that you can to 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 base this on. So um, hopefully they, they they feel you know maybe a little bit more confident that you know there's not some big scheme or or uh, you know, behind closed doors, you know, book cooking thing. It's it's there. So hopefully we can you know shed some light. But <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, next thing I wanted to, to discuss, uh, you know, habitat issue. I know uh, way back when uh, you know herb reduction and and uh, all that got started, it was you know we had let the the deer herd at a, a level for so long, and and it was you know obviously. 
negatively impacting the habitat that, you know, let's take, let's take some action now, you know, for our, our kids' sake and, and their kids' sake, and, and you bite the bullet, so to speak, as, as Jerry said last week. But um, acid rain, you hear a lot of people talk about that. Right. And I always say you'll never find, you know, one biologist that's going to tell you that acid rain is not a factor. But right. there's not much the Game Commission can do about it. You know, what's your take on it? You know, because I'm sure people ask you the same thing if you're at, you know, out at Harrisburg or, right. you know, what, what, what's your, your you know, take on that? In terms of acid rain, and I, I think there's no shortage of threats to our, our force here mm-hmm. in or, or anywhere for that matter. Uh, in terms of what we do or our view of it, uh, you know, as the game, you know, as our the wildlife agency in the state, we have a responsibility to manage wildlife um, and habitat, for that matter, on a more or less sustainable basis mm-hmm. to, for future generations. So the key part for us is we have a responsibility for the deer population. Sure. We have 800,000, 800,000 willing participants who can assist us in managing that deer population. Uh, so we have an obligation uh, in terms of our mission uh, to do what we can do the best we can for the resource both the wildlife and the habitat resource mm-hmm. uh, certainly if acid rain is an issue uh, that is a, an issue that's it's bigger than the game commission and it's bigger than the deer herd yep uh, and would require a lot of cooperation from various agencies and, and more than likely various states mm-hmm. uh, to solve that problem here in Pennsylvania uh, so the deer, our, our ability to to set regulations for managing deer, and then for Pennsylvania hunters to uh, participate in that process is generally limited uh, compared to some of the other factors that are out there that may be influencing our forest. Sure. Uh, but by the same time, under the current program, uh, if we have a, an area that the forest habitat is poor, in other words, uh, the forest cannot replace its current canopy uh, there's not a lot of biological justification for us to say well the forest isn't replacing itself as it is with the deer numbers where they are mm-hmm. but because it's some other factor we're going to allow deer populations to increase right that is going to that's i don't know that you can make that argument based on a biological scientific uh, basis sure uh so to some extent uh, it, we are very we're, we're limited to what we can do with deer and by the same token habitat is going to to limit us right do with deer populations regardless of what the factor is that's out there influencing it if it is acid rain uh, there's a lot of work to be done by a lot of different agencies sure a lot, a lot more people than just the game commission yeah i was i would say well, somebody better get started in you know those big industries you know, in michigan you know right. that's it's blowing in from there yeah it's uh, it, it's going to be a major issue that uh, is going to be very difficult to handle. Right. It's it's you know I think it's you said it best. It's multi-state if if not you know on, on a federal level that it needs to be tackled and um, you know if they're asking the game commission t- to lime all state game lands, well you know is is that necessary because that leads into my next my next uh, item here and that's that's regeneration. You know there's I've been to, to numerous enclosures and. And uh, you know both uh, game commission lands and also state forest, and you know everybody's assured me that there's no liming going on yet. One side of the fence it's thick and lush, and the other side it's, you know, it, it's wide open, um, right. which I don't 
you know, again, there's, I, I think people are starting to come around because I don't hear it as much, but there's still people that stand by that there's something fishy going on and, you know, there's special treatment or fertilizer or something going on. But uh, what's your take on, on the fencing that's going on? Is, is, is that, you know, is the writing on the wall with that? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's, I don't know that, I think it's very difficult to argue that deer would not have an influence on vegetation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have to have a, an influence on vegetation to, to survive because they eat it. Right. Um, and if there's a lot of them eating it, then certainly uh, they're going to reduce it. And then if you put a fence up and there's you have a comparison of some deer or a lot of deer versus no deer, uh, there has to be a difference there. Sure. There, there, or there should be a difference in, it in some right. way. Um, but, you know, in many cases, uh, if, if areas are being fenced, you know, they're being fenced based on an assessment of, you know what was there and what potentially can be there uh, and if fencing is needed uh, they've done it and it, it has been successful in uh, bringing back regeneration mm-hmm. I mean it's ago or maybe it's been a year now uh, you know, there was a press release concerning the, the removal of a fence uh, on game lands in the southeastern part of the state mm-hmm. uh, and part of the reason for the removal was that you know there was now adequate regeneration in that area sure wasn't needed anymore right so it's, you know just like anything else that you know deer do have an impact uh, you know whether they're the most important or the only or one of many uh, you know that's certainly debated uh, <laughs> sure yeah, that it is <laughs> yeah but i think it's if deer are going to be there and they're going to survive they're going to have an impact on the on the vegetation absolutely absolutely um, i know we touched a little bit on earlier but do you're getting reports you know uh you know habitat's starting to recover you know with with the you know, obviously the doe allocations you know knock the herd back you know pretty good um you know and, and you're getting reports now that habitat is recovering is you know is that, it's got to make you guys feel good about what's going on uh, certainly I, I think it's an improvement uh you know over where we were a few years ago mm-hmm. uh, and also the fact that it's not just uh, the game commission and and what we're doing through our allocations but also um, you know we have programs now that are specific to landowners yep and we're seeing landowners uh, continue, you know, continuing to request less assistance through those programs. Yep. So, uh, and we are hearing the positive reports. So, hopefully, we, you know, best case scenario, we're, you know, as, as low as things need to be, and, and we'll start to see, uh, you know, a, a large scale recovery in many of these areas. And as a result, uh, things hopefully could improve for deer and, and deer numbers and uh, things along those lines. But a lot of that's going to be wait and see. Yep. Uh, because none of this stuff, particularly when you're d- talking about habitat. Uh, is going to respond and and be quote acceptable and, and ready to go and to support more deer within a, a year or two time frame. Right. Yep. That's starting to expand the horizon here of, of deer management uh, decisions and you know, yep. we're looking at multiple years. Sure. I mean that's hopefully you know, people do understand that it's you know it's not a quick fix but you know, if you do the right thing it's you know the pain's not going to be that you know that unbearable for too long so. Right. Um, this point in time, things are encouraging. Yeah, that's and that's good to hear. You know, and that's I, I gotta say that's you know way back when this whole thing was proposed, that's kind of what I expected. You know, right about now, good things should be uh, starting to spread, and by the sounds of it, they are. So that's definitely good news on on uh, you know on our end. But um, the other thing that that got you know kicked off you know not too long ago was was you know antler restrictions. Um, and you know before that, there really was an antler restriction before then. It just that. It had the antler had to be three inches long on one side so 
you know, basically these guys increased it. But when we're talking about spikes, and you often hear people mention this, and I'm sure you get it a lot. Uh, spikes, are they inferior, or is it just a lack of protein? What's, what's your opinion on that? My opinion is that, unfortunately, like most things we deal with, I don't know that you're going to be able to identify one factor that's going to you know, explain why an animal has, a, has spike antlers or mm-hmm. not. Um, and and it, it could be one of many factors. Genetics certainly can play a role. Uh, nutrition is, is another factor, uh, as well as uh, in, in some areas, when, the, when those animals are born, birth date has been shown to have a relationship mm-hmm. to whether or not a buck will grow spike antlers. Sure. Um, so whether or not they're inferior genetically, I don't think anybody can say for sure. Right. There's too many other variables out there, and even in pen pen situations where they can control things, um, you know, it, it's still one of those things where there's a, a debate going on yep. uh, based on data from, from deer pens. So to say that a, a spike in the wild is inferior uh, in terms of its genetics, uh, I, I think... I don't know that there's much evidence to support right. a blanket statement like that. Sure, yeah, and that that kind of leads into into my next point, which is there really is there's really no genetic concern, you know, about uh, you know one deer passing on you know inferior genes, and nothing makes me cringe more than when I hear people talk about that because it, sometimes genes aren't expressed that early in life, and and to assume that because you know one 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 point five year old deer has eight points and another has you know, you know, two two-inch spikes or three-inch spikes is, it, you know, genes are expressed differently in, in each animal, and, and it really, really makes me cringe when I hear people use that term because I think we're getting more into the, you know, the the, the uh, big buck production, you know, that, that Texas really made popular, um, right. and which and it really doesn't apply to, to PA because you're, they're they're two completely separate animals, and um, and I'm sure you guys have to get that a lot, you know, especially at Harrisburg when people you know, come up and ask questions like that. Yeah, the genetic issue is, is an extremely difficult one, and again, it, it's even difficult, and I don't know, um, you know, in, in our conversations with uh, biologists and, and, and researchers in other uh, places that uh, have access to more controlled uh, situations in, in pens and, and places like that, the genetics question is still an issue of, of considerable debate yep. among those folks. Mm-hmm. So on a on a large scale in a free ranging deer population, uh, it, it there's too many things out there that could potentially alter a nice controlled experiment in terms of genetics. Yep. And I don't know that uh, there's any real strong evidence, you know, one way or the other, that the antler restrictions that we have in place are either going to be good or bad for Pennsylvania's deer and the genetics. Sure. I think it's it's just one of those things that right now with the abilities that we have in the technology. Uh, just extremely difficult to measure. Sure, I mean, and that—that's you know, I, I, me particularly, I would expect you know that to happen. <laughs> there's there's just way too much, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word go wrong, but there's way too much involved to, you know, to narrow it down to just one thing like genetics or right. protein or stuff like that. So, um, when AR was started, was was the goal? Um, I, this is the way I always looked at it: was the goal to just allow the, you know, we were killing. I guess it was 80% of our of our year and a half old deer. Was it just you know, to to allow them to reach one more year? Um, is that, is that you know, the the premise uh, that, that you guys when, when you know uh, starting the the AR push? Right. Yeah, that was basically the objective with antler restrictions and what it would do with the bucks mm-hmm. was to protect most of those yearling bucks 
move them on uh, through the hunt, their first hunting season uh, to two and a half years of age and then make most of those bucks eligible for harvest. Yep. And, and based on our field research, uh, that, that basically is what's happening. Uh, about half of the yearling bucks are now surviving through the hunting season, and of those bucks that survive, uh, approximately nine and ten of those animals will make will still be around the next year's two and a half year old deer, mm-hmm. uh, and then the majority of those animals are being harvested by Pennsylvania hunters. Yeah, which you know I've, I've when I when I heard about an antler restriction, I heard it was going to be a three to one side in most of the state. That was that was the first thing I thought of. You know, it's not to produce you know four and a half year old or five and a half year old deer that are going to be you know, 160, 170 class deer, which I'm sure there's there's some of those around, obviously, because we're killing a couple every year, but that's not the goal of AR. It's, it's to just allow those bucks that were getting, you know, killed, the, I mean, most of them were the opening day rifle season, to, to to get another year under their belt and, right. and then, you know, let the guys have at them. So, um, and, and what we're seeing is even within the two-year-olds uh, and older deer, we're, we're seeing a, a, a decent number of them making it on, you know, surviving on to three and a half. Mm-hmm. And on to four and a half. So there are some, uh, I guess, extra benefits to the antler restrictions sure. in terms of those older age classes. But really, the intent was protect it, you know, half, at least half of the yearlings, and then make most of the two and a half and older bucks eligible for harvest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've been pretty effective at doing that. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd absolutely agree. Um, with the current, you know, uh, three to one side or four to one side on the western part of the state, uh, can you dispel the rumors that we're high grading the deer? Yeah, the high grading our bucks. Uh, yeah, I mean, in in, in terms of the, the genetics and the concern, concerns for population genetics, that we are taking out those those bigger yearling bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a couple things that to I think that are important to keep in mind. Uh, one of those is that you know we're taking most of those deer after the peak of our breeding season mm-hmm. because most of those animals are being shot during our firearm season at the end of November or early December. Uh, most of the breeding here in Pennsylvania with the adult does anyhow takes place in mid-November. So a lot of those bucks that are being shot have already had the chance to pass on their genes. Yep. And many of them have. Uh, so despite the fact that you know more of those animals are being shot um, than the four-year-old or the four points or the uh, five points mm-hmm. out in the western part of the state, uh, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to have a an impact on the genetics of the population. Sure. When you throw all in there the, the effect of does, and that there's really no selection on does or the females mm-hmm. in the state, uh, I think it makes it even more you know, difficult to, to really, for us to have an influence on the genetics. Sure, sure. So those the, the genes of those six and eight point bucks that are being, those yearlings that are being shot during the gun season, chances are those genes are still out there. Yep. They've been passed on to the next generation before they're being uh, harvested. Sure, and it's it only makes oh at least to me it only <laughs> really made sense. Uh, you know, you know you'll hear a lot of people can can uh, pair what's going on here to you know the ARs that were in Mississippi where they you know their rifle season takes place you know before the peak of the rut, which you know right. down there they the rut is in January, but the rifle season, if I'm not mistaken, is December. Um, so you know they're they're Okay, I can see high grading there because you're killing the bucks before they have a chance to breed, but right. uh, definitely not in PA. And uh, right. you know, I definitely concur with with what you said. So, uh, one last one last thing, a question for you before we we uh, get out of here. But uh, what any what's the current status of you know of deer management in PA? What, any anything new? Anything exciting? Uh, you you want to 
uh, well, you know, what I, are the I going? have yet to have a boring day in my uh, year and a half in this job, so I, I would say most days are generally exciting. Good. <laughs> but in terms of what folks may be interested in, uh, really right now the, the deer section is focused on uh, two main things, that being uh, implementing the, the deer management plan that we uh, uh, that was a, you know, approved and, and set the direction for deer management uh, mm-hmm. from 2003 to 2007. Uh, we've in the last year we've uh, you know, developed that program or, or that plan into uh, measures of deer health and habitat health, as well as uh, starting citizen advisory committees. Mm-hmm. Which, which all this is, uh, um, you know, I've, I'm not going to name anybody, but people have said this information is not public, but this is all on the web page. It's all, all all accessible on the the game commission web page. So, correct. That information is out there. Uh, you know, we had a pilot of a citizen advisory committee uh, last year in Wildlife Unit 4B. Mm-hmm. Uh, that rep- the final report from that is out on the website. Uh, and this year, we will be doing uh, citizen advisory committees in, in more units, uh, with the idea that over the next four or five years, we'll you know, go through the whole state, and uh, every unit will have a citizen advisory committee. So we're providing a, a structured uh, method for uh, citizens and, and uh, stakeholders within a particular unit mm-hmm. to have a voice and where that where the deer population in that unit uh, goes in terms of whether it will increase decrease or stay the same um, in conjunction with our you know, looking at our measures of deer health and habitat health uh, and we've also uh, developed and here in the last few months uh, had a, an urban deer plan that was approved and we've been working to implement that mm-hmm. and some of the factors there that uh, are you know, tools that are needed in our more developed areas of Pennsylvania where the traditional hunting that we, you know, expect or are used to in the more rural areas mm-hmm. uh, just is not something that uh, can be done in the same way in those developed areas. Sure. So we have the, the general management plan, and then uh, more specifically, uh, we're working on uh, management tools to implement in the more developed areas of the of the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's all... Me. And, it, and again, it's all there, you know, for for anybody willing to to visit the the web page to see this. Correct. So, um, and it, you know, it sounds it, to me this is an exciting time, you know, to be a hunter in Pennsylvania because you know we're uh, five years into the, the herd reduction or, or four or five years into reduction and antler restrictions, and you know, I, I think the, the habitat's showing signs of recovery. You know, there's there's nice deer being killed. The, the number of two point five year old bucks that are are out there they're being harvested um and it's it it's it's really a fun time to be a deer hunter in pa um uh, i'm sure there's some people out there don't share my sentiment but um you know i I for one am am very uh, you know pleased and and and, uh thankful for what uh what you guys have done because it's really at least at least what i'm seeing made deer hunting you know all that much more better and i'm sure it's going to get better you know in the next five years so yeah, I do want to thank you guys for that because uh, you did stick to your guns, and and you know now we're starting to see the, you know, the rewards so to speak. Right. So, um, but with that, Chris, I, I think that's uh, about all the time we have. I know we said we'd only go 20 minutes, but we're here. We are 40 minutes <laughs> into it. But um, anything else you you wanted to to, to say before we uh, we get out? I I think we pretty well covered uh, most of the all right the deer program. Excellent. Well, Chris, I do want to thank you very much for for taking the time to. Uh, yeah, out of your schedule to come on the show and and uh, you know, share the the news and and uh, all the good info that that you guys are, are doing there in the game commission. So hopefully people uh, you know, are starting to realize that you know, the game commission is it's not an evil empire. They're not 
just out there making things up to you know to to make themselves look good. There's science behind stuff, and you know, and like I said, I I you know, as a hunter PA, I'm very thankful and, and you know pleased with the way things are going. So with that, I do want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure, um, and then maybe we could do it again sometime. Sure, appreciate the opportunity. All right, Chris. Well, folks, that's about all the time we have. I want to thank you for tuning in, and until next week, have a good one. This week's episode of Creekside Outdoors has been brought to you by HuntingPA.com, Pennsylvania's premier outdoor website. For all things hunting and outdoors in Pennsylvania, visit HuntingPA.com.